0: So Paul, letter to Ephesians, chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, then he breaks off that thought and continues. He'll pick it back up at the end. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. And God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, returning to his original thought, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What about the gospel? captures your imagination. What about the gospel captures your imagination? Not just what you know to be true, but a way of framing the gospel that, that makes your heart sing, <laughs> that resonates with the deepest part of you, or a way of framing the gospel that just knocks you off your feet. For me, I was knocked off my feet by a phrase used by Francis Spufford as shorthand for the fullness of the gospel. Francis is a British writer and he came back to faith in Jesus in his late 30s. And, And when he did, he committed himself to wrestle with what it means to belong to Jesus, what it means for the world, and why would any thinking, modern, intelligent person believe any of this stuff. And and what Francis settled on, how he gave expression to the gospel that captured his skeptical imagination, was that at the heart of the gospel is the deep assurance and the deep hope that in the crucified and resurrected Jesus Far more can be mended than we know. Far more can be mended than we know. And, and there was something about this phrase, there was something about its simplicity, there was something about there was something about it that just it hit me in my soul. It gave me language for something deeply true about what it means to follow Jesus. To trust that sometimes, despite the evidence around us, because of Jesus, far more in this world, far more in our own lives, even in our own brokenness, in Jesus, more can be mended than we can know. Here in Ephesians, Paul writes a letter about a way of explaining the gospel that captures his imagination, that that has reoriented his entire life. A way of understanding the gospel for which he went to prison. Which is actually where he is when he's writing this letter. He's in in a prison in Ephesus. Sometimes we have this image of Paul that he's in a very comfy chair at a desk with a quill, and he's writing his letters. It's not the case here. Paul's alone and helpless in a dark prison cell. And from those conditions, Paul writes this letter, and it is a letter of light and hope, and and wonder at what God has done in Jesus Christ, for the world and for the church that Paul now loves and serves. And just like the rest of scripture, Paul uses different images and metaphors to explain, to unpack, to help us understand the the breadth and the scope of the gospel of Jesus. At the beginning of his letter, uh, we didn't read it this morning, but in, in chapter one, when he's kind of laying out his basic themes, when he's kind of laying out the scope of where he will go in this letter he's writing, he uses a whole bunch, one right after the other. And in the first chapter in this letter, The gospel, he he describes the gospel as adoption. He he describes the gospel as forgiveness of sins. The gospel as predestined salvation. And then he ends, in verses 9 and 10, he ends on the one image, the metaphor, the way of describing the gospel that that he dives into in this letter. And that is the gospel as the mystery of Christ. Christ. The gospel as the mystery of Christ. We don't often think of the gospel as mystery. It's not really in our vocabulary, especially as Reformed Protestants. We're more inclined to think of the gospel as a set of propositions. Propositions to believe or not believe. Or it's just this simple good news that Jesus died for our sins. But mystery not really in our vocabulary. But here, especially here in this letter, especially in our portion that we just read, Paul is all about the mystery of Christ as a way of explaining the gospel. He goes on and on in in verse 3, how the mystery was made known to him by revelation. In verse 5, about his insight into the mystery of Christ which has not been made known to people in other generations. And then in verse 9, how his role as an apostle is to make plain to everyone the administration, the stewardship of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God. Mystery and mystery and mystery. And here, he lets us know that for Paul, this mystery is made known in the unlooked for, in the unhoped for inclusion of the Gentiles, of us, (laughs) along with Israel in the family of God, into the full sharing of all of God's covenant promises, that in Jesus, God brings the unity of those who belonged and those who did not and brings them together. Those who knew God intimately for centuries and those who were far off and had never heard the name of the God of Israel. That in the mystery of Jesus, God draws them together before him, bringing unity where once there was only division. In this act of God, of taking what is divided and bringing it together in Jesus, this, according to Paul here, isn't just about Jew and Gentile, but it's about the whole world. This is what God is doing in and through the mystery of Jesus Christ for all created things in heaven and on earth, which is what he lays out in chapter 1 as a theme sentence, a a focus for his letter. In chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, this is how Paul ends. With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. For Paul, the mystery of Christ has captured his imagination, his heart, his faith, his life. And the mystery of Christ becomes his whole life's work. The vision of the gospel has so changed him that he can speak of light and hope in this mystery from the darkest prison cell. And sometimes I think we forget, but Paul's story, he formally hunted down followers of Jesus. He put them in jail, put them on trial. He, he saw Gentiles, he saw followers of Jesus as a dangerous subversion of the Jewish faith, a cult to be stamped out. And he worked hard at stamping it out. But then, this gospel of grace he now proclaims isn't something that he could ever have dreamt of, that he could ever have imagined. Only God. That in Jesus, God is bringing unity where there is division in all things, in heaven and on earth. Even to the biggest division that Paul knew, that he had a hand in deepening that between Jew and Gentile. Bringing unity out of division. (laughs) how incredibly hard it can be on some days to have the imagination, the faith, to see the world this way. To see the world through the mystery of Christ, through the gospel of Jesus. How hard it can be to imagine, to believe that our deepest divisions can be bridged. That the broken things in our lives can be mended. And that God could ever possibly bring all things together in Jesus. Some days I simply don't have, I don't have enough imagination for it. And especially in a week like this one. The violent images we've seen this week, coming out of Washington, D.C., the result of vicious rhetoric, of lies that have corroded the imaginations and the hearts of so many, that have warped reality enough that some took up arms and stormed a building of their government. As an American, I am rocked by this. But I'm unfortunately not surprised, given the deep dysfunction of my country of birth. I'm not surprised. But as a Christian, I have been deeply troubled by the images of crosses being carried alongside assault rifles. The images that we've seen coming out of DC where Jesus saves banners are carried alongside banners showing the President of the United States dressed like Rambo. I lack the imagination for seeing how these divisions can be bridged. Because it seems sometimes that there are lies that are too big to undo. Violence too ingrained to overcome. The brokenness of it all just sometimes seems just too far to be mended. And what hurts most of all that the witness of the church seems too damaged to be healed. A week ago, a week ago from today, Reverend Margaret Kibben was sworn in as a chaplain for the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. Wednesday was her third day on the job. And she opened the House session that morning with prayer, kind of her liturgical duty in her chaplain role, and she found her seat knowing it would be a long day, knowing there were crowds outside, but having no clue as to what would unfold. As chaos reached the House chambers, as evacuation began, Margaret found herself with a group of lawmakers, Republicans and Democrats, sequestered away in some room of the Capitol building, Putting up furniture against the door in case someone tried to get in. And they were unsure of what would happen next. They were unsure if they would be found and by who and what the consequences would be. And in that tension, in that fear, in that moment, someone turns to her and says, Can you pray? And Margaret turned to scripture. She opened up the Psalms. She turned to Psalm 46, and she read about God as our refuge and shelter. She read that we will not fear though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea. And then she prayed. She prayed for those sheltered in place, both in that room, but also scattered across the Capitol building. She prayed for a covering of peace and protection but she also prayed for those ransacking the capital. She prayed that they might come to understand the harm they were inflicting, the danger they were in. And she prayed that they might understand, whether today or tomorrow or next week, the common ground that held them together. Some kind of common ground between those breaking windows and those huddled under tables. Since Wednesday, Reverend Margaret Kibben has continued to be at work. She's back in the capitol building, and she is listening to and praying with lawmakers and staff members, with janitors and with capitol police officers. And as a follower of Jesus walking those halls, she is speaking words of hope into deep disagreements. She's speaking words of comfort into fear. And she's bearing witness to the beautiful mystery of Christ that even in the midst of violence and division, God remains at work through the faithful acts of his followers. To mend what is broken, to heal what is harmed, and bring together what is divided. She was interviewed about her experience. And as she reflected on what happened on Wednesday, of the fallout and, and the work that is ahead of her, and the role of the church, she said, Our daily lives are not separate from God's involvement in them. God is very much present, and very much has come alongside each and every one of us, as we labor in the vineyard. And if that labor is tedious, God understands the tedium. If the labor is under siege, God understands the crisis and walks beside us in the still waters as well as in the shadows of danger. Because faith matters. It mattered on Wednesday, it matters today, and it will matter tomorrow. Paul tells us here in this chapter that it is God's intent that the church reveals the manifold wisdom of God. Not because we're especially great at this grace stuff. Not because we're exceptionally good at our task of being stewards of God's grace. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, we're often the gatekeepers that keep divisions going. But when we gather in Jesus' name, in the presence of the Spirit, to faithfully seek out unity over division, to work for peace rather than violence, we witness to the mystery of Christ, the mystery that is at work in us and through us, through our feeble efforts. <laughs> Through our failures and our shortcomings, through our small victories and our smallest faithful acts. God is at work bringing all things in heaven and on earth together in Jesus. Beyond our wildest imagination, for what's possible. All to show the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms just what God's picture of a whole world, a whole world healed, looks like. What his will is for us and for the world he loves. Where divisions are bridged, where broken places are mended, where enemies are made friends. And where the ones who were once despised become the beloved of God. Then in this mystery, Jesus invites us to join him. To live as faithful stewards of this mysterious gospel. To practice God's act of bringing together and not dividing to practice healing rather than harming. And to practice, even on the days that are hard and we lack the imagination, to practice faith and hope in the mystery of Jesus Christ, in the goodwill of God, and in the shape of the church that shows the manifold wisdom of God. For all this talk of mystery, For all of Paul's love of this way of explaining the gospel, the mystery of Christ is not a secret to keep. It is a promise made. That even when we don't understand, even when we don't know how it is possible, even when we cannot imagine a way forward, even when we doubt that our divisions can ever be bridged, or that what is broken can never be mended. We know that God's will has been made known to us. The mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. In Christ, all things are held together. In Christ, all things will be made whole. In Christ, all divisions will cease, and the peace of Christ will reign over all the earth. And that in Christ, far more can be mended than we know or can imagine. So may we, as followers of Jesus, have the imagination to grasp the beauty and the power of the good gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives and for the world. And may we put it into practice as the church following her Lord. Let us pray. Our God of mystery and hope, we come before you and our lives and our world are just a bundle of divisions and brokenness, <laughs> a mixture of, of, of hopes and dreams and just everything that we carry with us, everything that we see in this world. Help us to see the world through the light of your sun. That we can imagine a way forward. That we can see where you are at work and not just the darkest images that capture our attention but that we are drawn to your light, to the places in this world and in our lives where you are at work, shining your light, bringing peace, and mending what is broken. Help us to be faithful partners in this work. Encourage us when we need it. Expand our imagination when we need it. Also, that we can be the church that reveals your wisdom to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.